1: Tola Dole Fisher. Hello and welcome. This is Woman Alive with me, Toller Dole Fisher. This is the podcast for Christian women where I'm chatting with real women
2: about real life and real faith. What feminism has now done to me is it separated us as men and women. When I look at the men they are stewing in this toxic space and there's nobody to support them because we are now in our women's conferences helping ourselves.
1: The Woman Alive podcast is produced in partnership with Open Doors. Welcome to the next episode of the Woman Alive podcast. Today I am with three more fantastic inspiring women. I've got a researcher, a university lecturer, an author of 14 books and a grandmother of six and a cultural producer and artistic director. And today we're going to be talking about feminism as God intended. So welcome Dr. Belle Tindall, Michelle Guinness and Ayunda Fakai. Hi. <laughs> I love it. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> we've got someone in wales someone in nigeria in lagos and someone in france So i feel like we've got representatives from all over the place today um and so to get today a little better for those of our listeners and readers who don't know you guys and haven't read any of the stuff that you've done for us at womanly.co.uk i'm just gonna launch this with a bit of an icebreaker and the question i'm gonna ask all of you is can you name a woman who has inspired you and why so I'm going to go first to Belle who's a woman that's inspired you and why a woman that's inspired me
3: um there are so so many I'm really tempted to say my mum but is that so cliche if I go Mm, in with my mum not if
1: she's listening if she's listening it's a thumbs up
3: oh yeah she better be listening this is a way I'll ensure that she listens but um my mum she likes to play this game so she had me when she was 20 which is um yeah seven years younger than I am now so she likes to keep reminding me of that like (laughs) um but she is just so strong and soft at the same time I don't know if that sort of like resonates but she is I feel so honored to be his in the way that she has shown me that you can be really strong as a woman And I'll try not to get too much into our main conversation, but you can be really strong and really go for what you want and be really empowered and stay really soft and gentle and Mm. light with it all. And I think I am i just feel really fortunate to have kind of grown up knowing that those two things can coexist, I guess. So there's my very cliche
1: answer, but she'll like it. It'll get me to
3: the points. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that is beautiful maybe we should launch this for mother's day so she can be reminded of of how much yeah. how amazing she is and how amazing yeah. a daughter you are for mentioning her <laughs> <laughs> all right and Ayunda, can you name a woman who's inspired you and then tell us why i don't mind if you pick me but maybe pick someone who
2: that's <laughs> <less> obvious <laughs> of course you know you inspire me every single day um do you know what? I'm, I've been inspired by so many women, especially in my career. So it's very hard to, um, to say that there's just one. I think I'm accumulation of a lot of women. Um, so I'll say one person that's close to me, one person that's not close to me. One is Maya Angelo, who I'm just, uh, you know, when I was little, I came across the book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, and it turned me from, um, Someone who was failing at my GCSEs, I'd like done really badly in my mocks, to someone who was like um, just really thought about the opportunities in life and how you can turn your life around, um, no matter you know what kind of traumas you've had growing up. Um, and then secondly, is my uh, of course. So I lost my mom very young, so she is an inspiration. But I didn't really have like I don't have memories of her. Um, in a way that I could I could pull from the next person I'm talking about, who is my was my mentor. Um so she unfortunately passed away in 2019 from, from cancer, but she literally believed in me um, mm. and she believed in the work that she did. She was an amazing curator. She started this organization that I now um run as, as the director of, which is the Center for Contemporary Arts. Her name is Bissy Silver. Uh And even now, um, you know, so many years on, ev- almost anywhere I go in the art world, if I bump into someone, they will mention that this is the person that had like such a huge impact on their life and their career. And so someone being able to be really present, and she was really present for me, Um, believe in me, what she was definitely a rod and a staff in my life. Um, And she was able to do that for so many people in a way that I barely have enough attention to give to like my loved ones, not to talk of like outside of that experience. Wow. And so for me, she really, really shaped and influenced <laughs> who I am, my career. Um, yeah. And a lot of the way I think.
1: Thanks, Iinda. And thank you for being so vulnerable about that there as well. And, Michelle, I've worked with you at Mother's Union, and there's a lot of women in that organisation. But who is a woman that's inspired you and why?
4: Well, again, lots of different women over the years. I feel I felt sort of listening to Belle and Ali India, and I, I felt quite sad because I can't say it was my mother. In fact, it was the opposite. Um, and there must be many women who feel that. She was the generation where women had no opportunities and bitterly resented those I had—a um, Jewish mama, very manipulative, <laughs> knew how to pull every emotional string—and I knew I just didn't want to be her. And um, but the, but but I've had so many other wonderful matriarchal and not matriarchal women in my life, and my favourite is Helen Taylor Thompson, founder of the Mildmay Hospital. She started her fight to open it in her seventies. And um, she took on the government. She took on the Department of Health. She, she took on um, the friends of the hospital who wanted to shut it as well. And she turned it into the foremost hospital for the care and treatment of people with HIV and AIDS in the 1980s. And she took on the criticism from Christians who said, ah, mm. looking after gay men. And she took on the criticism from gay organizations who said, you're a Christian. How can you, you know, you're trying and evangelise us. And she weathered it all and turned that centre into a model throughout the world.
1: That's really inspiring. I didn't actually know that about that. So thank you for sharing that, Michelle. And thank you to all of you for, for sharing uh, the people that have inspired you the most. So, as you know, with the each episode of the podcast, we start with an article that has been published at WomenAlive.co.uk, and that has been the topic of conversation, uh, not just uh, in the office but among our readers as well. So, the article we're focusing on today, uh, Bell wrote it, and it is called the head. The title that we use is "Some Christians Aren't Keen on Feminism." But I think fighting for women's rights often doesn't go far enough. So, Belle, if you, for those who haven't read it, Belle, if you wouldn't mind just reading a snippet from that article just to start.
3: Yeah, sure. I think I wrote this about a year ago. So it was really nice to be reminded and be like, oh, yeah, um, that's <laughs> quite a good article. No, <laughs> um, yeah, so a little snippet. Um, so a little chunk in the middle goes like this. It says the injustices that women face are real. And so day in and day out, I work and fight to ensure that my gender is no barrier. And I'm not totally self-serving. I fight my butt off for others too. And I'm determined that every single woman in my orbit gets to be exactly who God made them to be. And hear me out. All of this is no bad thing. And I shan't be stopping anytime soon. It's just that every now and again, I notice my own tunnel vision my feminism only benefits the people who happen to be in my world, people who are from where I'm from, who do what I do, think what I think, struggle with what I struggle with, and fight for what I fight for. My feminism exists in a box, and that box is far too small.
1: Thank you, Belle. And you use the F word quite a lot there, and that's the main yeah. topic of this conversation. So what actually is a feminist? Well, you share in your article a bit later about the definition that the author Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie gives. And that okay. is, a feminist is a person who believes in the social, economic and political equality of the sexes. Apparently also Beyonce agrees with this. So this should be the world now definition <laughs> But I'll throw it out to you first, Michelle, Uh, is that your idea of how you define feminism? Yes, I mean, I think it's
4: complete equality, but I think it's also complete respect for one another, love for one another, awareness of each other and how we can work together to make the world a better place. I men and women. I didn't say that at the beginning today. I? (laughs) I like because that. I, I do think it, when I first started to talk about these things, um, I, I was at a New Wine conference, and a, a man came up to me afterwards in tears, and I, I was very, I was blown away by that. And I said, well, "You know, what's the issue?" And he said, "I'm a psychiatrist, and I've never yet heard a woman speak about feminism and who liked men."
1: Oh, and
4: interesting. Stayed with me. That if we want to win the equality, we have to love them somehow, even some of the most mm. difficult, in order to um, not earn the respect, but because we're better together.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Ayinda, would you, is feminism a word or a
2: name that you yourself would associate with? Um, personally, No. <laughs> Um, and I remember in, in when I was doing my master's in um, health and society, I remember having a lecturer and she was like, she was a feminist and she was really trying to get me on board feminism. Um, and I was like, I'm really like, I, I mean, at the time, I think I was really like staunch, like, no, I don't agree with it at all. I agree with the definition that was used here for feminism, but I don't mm-hmm. agree that that's how feminism currently operates um so maybe it's something we'll get into I I actually I agree in equality um I agree that maybe women should be paid the same thing as men for the same jobs and opportunities etc etc but I believe that um and maybe it's because I was I was brought up by a single father so I didn't again so I I did mention that that I wasn't raised by a woman I was raised by a man and my dad Um, shaped my identity should I say in a way that he never differentiated between male or female in our home so Mm. two girls and a boy and it wasn't like okay you're the girl you wash up or anything like that it was just everybody had to learn the same life skills he had to learn life skills as well because he had to raise us so that is one of the main reasons why I've never really had to identify with feminism uh, and I haven't felt like the pull towards it um, and then again I do feel like it has really shifted um, from that in and I feel like there's just a lot of toxicity that's surrounding it at the moment
1: <laughs> well I'm really interested to know why you had such a strong reaction when you were doing uh so, so your master's your thesis why why was that
2: why such a strong reaction to it um so th- I have this thing that I feel that as women women God, I believe God created us as helpers. If you put women together, we're going to help and empower ourselves. We have the capacity to do that. That's how God created us. I don't believe that men have the same capacity to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe that, um, we were always going to rise. You know, we're always going to rise to in every industry. We were going to always rise. But what feminism has now done to me is it separated us as men and women. So like what you said, uh, Michelle, when you said that you, ha- this, this, um, psychiatrist had never met a woman who was a feminist who liked men, which I, I, that's for, I don't know, maybe later on in the conversation. But to me, I feel that a lot of men are failed because women are turning insular to focusing on ourselves. If you go to any, if you look at um conferences about self-development, probably 80% of the people there are going to be women because that we just gravitate to those things. But now well, what it has meant is that we have a society that's full of women who are empowered and who are like, you go girl and everything. And we have men who have not been supported because instead of us focusing on empowering and building them because there's a weakness in them like that god saw um and said they needed a helper we have focused on ourselves and building ourselves up and so for me it's a bit of a problem because i look at the men of the next generation or even of this generation and i i I feel like they are stewing in this toxic Mm. space and there's nobody to support them because we are now in our women's conferences helping ourselves.
1: Interesting. Well, Belle, you've written quite a lot or done quite a lot of work around female empowerment, which Ayinda mentioned. So, what do you, what, mm-hmm. do you have any thoughts on what Ayinda's just said? Yeah, I
3: think so. I think maybe we're, we would differ, but I totally, totally hear every point. Um, and what I do think what I do agree with or sort of that I totally get and I hear is that um we can say definition is a political, cultural and society, uh, social equality of the sexes. And as a Christian, I'd want to put spiritual equality in there as well. And that can seem quite black and white, but then how that has worked itself out throughout history and in the present day is anything but black and white. It's like the entire gray spectrum. So that is interesting. And kind of the more you dig into that the more interesting that gets so that's true but i suppose we we then maybe would go down different paths is i don't so that we'd help her we were made as helpers so that um that word from Genesis, Genesis two, is Aza. And that could also be translated as a power to equal. So where it says a helper suitable in NIV, in Hebrew that could be a power to equal, um, a power to harmonize, um a power to run parallel with men. And so I think if that's my start line, then what I see is that through the ages, women have been denied that identity. They've been told that that's not who they are. And I think that that's been to the detriment of women and men. But I just think that society is better when men and women are working equally, when, um, when they're working side by side and there isn't such a hierarchy that there isn't an imbalance that is perfectly balanced. It's perfectly synchronized. It's perfectly harmonious. And I suppose that's because I, that's how I see Eden. If you know what I mean, that's how I see God's original blueprint. Mm his original design that's what I see there and then I see that fracturing when his blueprint fractures you know from Genesis 3 onwards and so for me then feminism is all about trying to get back to that original design that original blueprint which personally for me I can't stop thinking is the total equality of the sexes in every sphere of society. Yeah yeah, if I could just come in there
4: Because my husband, I was talking to him just earlier. He's a retired vicar, and we were having a chat about the whole feminist issue. And he remembers very clearly when he first started in the ministry, there were diocesan conferences. And the the male clergy were always called to come together. And it was a three-line whip to these conferences. And he said the men spent the whole time, it was all male, at the bar, just drinking themselves, senseless, being totally laddish, And that was how they saw interacting with each other. Um, It it was loud. It was in your face. There there was no spirituality. But following on from women's ordination, that whole thing has changed. And now there's sensitive, sensible conversation. So it's enabled the men as well as the women um, to talk about emotion, to, to not have to booze to be free to do that. Um, you know, not have to be given permission. Interesting. Um, Ezra. I hope I'm writing this spell from my little bit of knowledge of Hebrew from my background. But Ezra is not just a helper. She's an Ezra Kenegdo. And nege means standing opposite. And kenegdo is standing boldly opposite, like eyeball to eyeball. And I always tell my husband I have to stand on a chair. He's over a foot taller than me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and there are times when perhaps that's what that was going on now at the end, introduction of women to those particular conferences made an enormous difference in
1: terms of challenging the men to be real. Hmm. Thanks, okay. Michelle. I forgot that you um, have been married to a vicar, and you mentioned earlier that you are of Jewish ancestry, and I've been educated on some Hebrew stuff from you guys today, so thank you for that. But <laughs> can you give us a bit more, Michelle, on... Uh, growing up in a Jewish household what that looked like
4: women would were, were, were denuded of power basically they mm. had no power they had no career they had no 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 choice they, they weren't allowed to go out to work because that you know he was the bread breadwinner and he had to be seen as the breadwinner and my mother had to prove she was of value Mm. And so uh, she developed OCPD, Obsessional Compulsive Personality Disorder, which is worse than OCPD. I haven't got time to explain it. But but her whole life became revolved around straightening candlesticks and making sure the casters of the chairs were in the right holes, uh, making sure the curtains were in their right folds and all day, every day was spent like that. But she had to prove to my father that he, she needed to be there and she couldn't think of it. I suspect this is how her mental health deteriorated and it broke my heart. And I didn't want my generation to grow up either in Jewish families or in the church. And actually, when I did become a Christian, I was pretty horrified that things weren't a lot better. <laughs>
1: um,
4: certainly you're talking 1970s. And still, I mean, still we go to a church here in France and I'm not allowed to preach or lead. Oh, wow. Okay. I sit there and I, I don't, I did fume at first and I thought, this is silly. Just, you know, I shall wait and see what God gives me to do and just be a force in my own right in this place. And it's their loss really. Yeah. And I've had lots of opportunities to do all kinds of things. And we, we actually have a group in our own home where I do a lot of speaking and leading um, and we you know, often packed to the doors and it's great. Um, so, yeah, I found the church very, very hard at first and um, very difficult. I didn't find it a lot better. I, the expectations were I was told I would get married and I, I would be allowed to counsel other women if I wanted something to do. But nobody was ever interested in the thought that I might have a career, even when I was a university, and I was a university student and, and doing a master's in French
1: literature. You know, the, Gosh, the hearing- you had to. You've had to fight through a lot, it sounds like, Michelle, on, on oh, that journey. I think, said, I
4: think sometimes, um, certainly my daughter and daughter-in-law um, don't, I'm not aware of how hard we fought mm-hmm. and how many tears we wept. And um, and I, I think it, we only got halfway. We, we won the war, some wars, but we've lost some battles. As long as we still carry our car keys in our hands when we go into
1: car parks at night. Oh gosh,
4: we've got more to do.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a lot more to do. And, uh, and, Belle, why the uh, the headline of your article that you wrote for us does say that some Christians view femi- feminism as a negative word? Yeah, what? Why? Why is that? I think. Oh, there are so many answers. I'm wondering which one to go
3: for. I think that the most provocative answer let's start there why not let's go for it could be um and I've read so much research on this is that people the way that power has been fought for then held on to then denied to other people let's say by men um what they think then is feminism is a reverse of that. So what they are worried about or scared about is that women want to take the power, keep the power, and then withhold it from other people. When if we're taking you know the equality definition that's just not true so there's that that could be the most provocative kind of answer other answers would be to do with the media and the fact that feminism has feminism has been tied up with things like hating the family hating motherhood hating marriage um hating all of those things which again it's not like not in its heart some expressions might have that but at it is core, it's not that um or another could be that Christians, and this is a big old can of whims, um think that it's unbiblical, that feminism is unbiblical, that it's it stands in contrast with the Bible and with sort of the the way that God wants society to run. So I think there are huge issues that range from just a misunderstanding sort of on a cultural level all the way to sort of like decades worth of deep theology and Yeah, and all sorts of sort of answers sort of in between those three things. But I, yeah, it's a bit of a minefield, I think, which would be why. But I think like what what you said about why is it a threat? I think that word threat is probably quite big. Anything that sort of challenges us can feel like a threat. We don't want to feel like we've been complicit in injustice. We don't want to feel like we've been putting people down or marginalising people. And therefore, any kind of ideology that comes in and tells us that we've been doing that, whether intentionally or unintentionally is really uncomfortable and Mm -hmm. we just we don't want to feel uncomfortable we don't want that and it is that I think but yeah that weird feminism has so much baggage no one comes to it neutrally um everyone's got it's loaded it's a loaded for
2: everyone 100% I, I definitely think it is loaded and I think that's the problem so while I like identify with the um the definition that was used it's it's interesting that I can identify with the de- the definition but not with um what apparently it is defining which is feminism and I think that that you're you you basically hit the nail on the head and that there's so much that has now come underneath underneath feminism or so many ways it has been used um almost I actually do think it has been used in the same way as to- as, as ma- mas- well, I wanna say to- toxic masculinity. I feel like it has been hijacked. So I feel like the early feminists, they got it right. They were really about everything that you're talking about. But I feel like in contemporary times, a lot of things have changed in a way and a lot of movements have been hijacked that should ideally be doing great things. <laughs> but because of people's own personal i guess narratives or personal desires or thinking it's now gone in a totally different way because i don't know like i feel like at the moment i live in i live in a country where we're definitely a masculine country you know but when i look at the bible i feel like to me I learned the Bible for myself. My parents didn't teach me the Bible. My they weren't dragging me to church. I was one who was throwing myself into the Bible. And when I looked at the culture of the Bible, and I put a caveat on this, I always found that it was a story about men and women. And so I didn't see it from a way that it was. I didn't. I didn't see what other people saw in that. Um, the hierarchy of men i didn't see that until much later on i didn't come to that and i always say even now i have a little like i wish i was studying theology in a way actually because i'm quite interested in paul as a as a bible figure because Mm -hmm. to me it's mainly the teachings of paul or um, the words of paul that i feel that people who who are either feminist or who are would say don't teach in church it's mainly Paul that they're referencing. So, for me, that's that's something that I'm even grappling with, with my own understanding of the Bible and of my faith. Um, and so, meet like when people say, who do they want to meet when they get to heaven? Paul is my first point yeah.
1: You've got some really? questions for Paul. Really? Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> I really want to get to
1: the kind of core of feminism in the bible we've we've kind of mentioned a bit about christians maybe not thinking that is god's plan and um, we talked about a potential definition of feminism but are there specific examples that we can see of origins of feminine feminism in the bible michelle you i know you've written you've written 14 books or 15 books and you you talked a lot of you mentioned a lot of biblical characters is, is this something that you could that you can speak to
4: Oof. Um, yes, the, the most recent book was The Contemporary Woman, Can She Really Have It All, where I looked at, at, at what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a woman in relationship to men. And um, one thing that really hit me, I started to look at a number of bi- women in the Bible and found that they had a match somewhere in history, an absolute match. It was quite extraordinary. So you take Deborah, for example, and Mary Slessor, who was vice consul. Uh, in one of the African countries, what was known as yeah. the Calabar at the time. I think that's Central African mm-hmm. Republic. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I don't know whether Alienda would know that. But uh, she, she, as a vice consul and a woman, she began to change the whole judicial uh, system in that country in, in a very, uh, and she took on an enormous battle in the same way that Deborah did. So I think that throughout history, God has been saying these women are special you know, take notice, and I think when I look, for example, at the women in the 19th century, they were denied the pulpit here, so off they went, and they transformed a lot of the countries uh, as we know them, and um, and certainly brought the gospel in a way that men never did. Uh, um, you know, you just have to think of, of China, particularly, How essential women were in China, and Peter had a great aunt. He went there as a missionary. So I tell a lot of women's stories, but for me it does, you know. And I was thinking as Olindi
1: spoke, what I wanted to do when I wrote as well was help women to fall in love with Paul again. (laughs) <laughs> but like Michelle and Yinda have got a joint love of or interest in Paul here. We I mean, do. We're going <laughs> to assault him. Not, a laugh, not <laughs> a, an in, interest. An interest. That's going okay. interest. But I
4: don't think he was anti-women. I mean, yeah. want to understand the culture in which he operated, the mm. problems that um, Timothy faced, then it begins to be clear. He worked closely with with women. They were his colleagues. And in mm. Romans sixteen, in that letter, there he calls them by the same word, helpers um mm-hmm. uh, and, and assistance that he uses for the big for his big guns Timothy and Silas and you know his his male colleagues.
1: Thank you for um just kind of reminding us of some of that stuff from um I think we we've I was right or maybe it was Belle that said this about when people mention um pe- women being told uh not to do this or to do this it's usually from Paul and not necessarily from anyone else this conversation, I feel like, could go on for uh, much longer because we haven't really gotten into uh, specific scriptures. But to wrap up this conversation today, I know Ian has already made it very clear that she does not consider herself a feminist. Um, but I wonder if I can just throw out that question to round up. Should Christian women call themselves a feminist? Uh, I'll go back to you, Bell. Belle. Yeah, good question. I mean,
3: I do. I don't uh the thing I suppose the label is not as important to me as the cause. You know, if you want to say, oh, well, that's not feminism in 2023 or whatever, you know, like it's not about the label. I think we're obsessed with labels at the moment. And to me, it's not about that. But having said that, I don't have any problem calling myself a feminist if that means that I am fighting like tooth and nail for the absolute equality of women in every realm of society and culture. I'll keep doing it. And if that puts me in the feminist camp, I don't really have an issue with calling myself that, I quite like as well, actually, that there's a bit of an oxymoron. So when they're, you say yeah. that to the world, they're like, what? How <laughs> so actually, I really like that it's a tiny bit provocative. I'll start like a Diaries of a Christian Feminist or something. Um, do it. I like that. Yeah. So, yeah, personally, and I this is personal, I've got no problem calling myself a feminist.
1: All right. Great. And, and Michelle, should Christian women call themselves feminists?
4: I have no problem either in calling myself a feminist. I think after the years that um, we, we fought. But at the same time, I think for me, it's a much bigger battle, as Belle said in her article, that, that it, it includes now fighting for the women across the world who don't have the freedoms that we have and being a little less self-centered and beginning to look at countries like Afghanistan and, see, uh, and begin to lobby our MPs and do something really positive
1: with that word. Absolutely, um, Ayanda. Do I dare go to you on this question? <laughs> what do you? What? Let me ask you a different question. What do you think when Christians that are close to you, Christian women describe themselves as feminist?
2: What oh, does that say I, to you? I I don't really feel any like way about it. Um, I I think if that's what your focus of your area focuses, then I, it makes sense to um identify yourself that way um yeah i am I'm, I'm not i'm not offended by christian women calling themselves f- feminists basically that's the yeah. answer <laughs> <laughs> the woman alive podcast with Tola doll fisher
1: All right. Thank you. And thank you, <laughs> Belle. Thank you, Michelle. And thank you, Yinda, for being so open with that conversation. We are now going to move to the next part of this, uh, the podcast, where we answer the questions on sex and relationships that our the readers of Women Alive um, and the listeners of this podcast have sent in. The series online is called Great Sexpectations. That was not my name, but it is amazing. <laughs> and and the question, I'm going to read out the question that we've had. These are real questions. Uh, I'm going to read out the question, but uh, when we're answering, just take the information that we've been given. Let's not assume anything that we, that we haven't been told by the reader and then kind of just try and answer based on what they've said. So the question is, um, I want to date, but I don't have a clue how to flirt. I don't want to be sexual. Can you help? Um, And so the message that came in was, Dear Woman Alive panel, thank you for taking time to read this. I basically want to know about flirting. I do meet single Christian men at church and through the mission work I'm involved in, but I just get friend-zoned straight away. I want to flirt and get their attention, but I also want to honour Jesus and not over-sexualise or anything like that. Is flirting as a Christian okay? And if it is... How do I do it? Does anyone want to start attempting to help this reader?
3: I think floating as a Christian
1: is okay.
3: (laughs) I'll start there. Um, Yeah, I think trying not to add any extra information on but I think just firstly flirting becomes much easier when you are actually attracted to the person if you're trying to force it the chances are that might be why it's hard um but then also what I what I would say about flirting perhaps is that it is as much about like your presence in the moment as it is about sort of what you're saying. So like eye contact, just to get really practical, mm-hmm. eye contact is so powerful. Like to keep that locked in, you're you're literally like commanding their attention on you, and you're telling them that you're giving them all of yours. Yeah, that's the right way around. Yeah, um, and I think that that's just a really powerful thing to do um so think about like literally the way you're standing that like the way you are presenting yourself in that moment because I think sometimes we can neglect that and think it's all about what we're saying or how we're saying it when actually a lot of it is about eye contact and posture and sort of how you're presenting yourself so
2: very very maybe a little bit to the left but I watch a lot of k-dramas
1: <laughs> as in Korean Korean dramas Korean right
2: shows, yes and so like it takes 15 episodes for them to ever even like get anywhere near to like even a kiss you know (laughs) like so there's like 15 episodes and I, I just love it so much because they um I just love the culture because like literally putting a little bit of food on someone else's plate is like a sign that you care about them what allowing somebody to know you basically what you're trying to do is give somebody an inclination that you are interested in them so that's really what you're trying to do and I don't necessarily think that that has to be you have to be overtly sexual to do that are you engaging them in conversation are you present I do you see them truly um or are you even romanticizing you know are you able to speak the language that they speak so that's for me I'm really interested in love languages like there are ways that you can let somebody know that you care for them or that you would you you would like an opportunity to be in a caring relationship with them and I don't think that that has to overtly be anything like sexual or um degrading or anything like that
1: so we should be taking our examples from Korean dramas i mean i'm (laughs) (laughs) michelle do you have any advice for this reader
4: um yeah i i would wonder too how she's coming across um always as a friend i mean friendship's great Mm. many fabulous marriages start with friendship so that's a really good basis to start but then it needs a little bit more and it is all about the eyes isn't it i was horrified once when i Married man said to me, and I was married too, stop flashing your eyelashes at me. Oh gosh. <laughs> I thought, oh heck. It was it was good to have a kind of check. It didn't change my behavior, I don't think. But went I, and I, except that I was just a little bit more careful. But then when you're single, I think that you know, men like women who who, who like who have a sense of humour and can laugh. I think that's very important in friendship. So it is the eye contact, it's the interested in them. And you can hold that eye contact for just a little longer if it's somebody you are particularly interested in. You don't want to engage somebody that you're not interested in. Can <laughs> cause a lot of hurt. But if you are, then there are ways and means of, of showing them that you find them interesting and attractive. And, you know, just by the nods and the engagement and the laughter and having fun together and a bit of teasing uh, sometimes. <laughs> Although, go gently with that. My husband doesn't like teasing at all. So that's <laughs> a good one really. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think that um, friendship is great. And and I would just ask as well, what you're wearing. Sometimes um, being downplaying, being, very, you know, very sort of dull colours says I, I, I'm not up for it. I'm not a sexual being, so I think maybe some lovely earrings like Olyndis, and uh, occasionally, or, 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 or uh, she's she's wearing wonderful blue sort of um, long dangling earrings. No, do don't again. Something you feel comfortable in, but something that is bright and cheerful, and something that m- makes him know, you know, maybe wear a, a really bright color occasionally. Some, something something that makes the guys know that you're out
1: there, that you're interested. Yeah thank you all of you I feel like there's some some interesting tips for me as well the eye contact not too much eye contact but also dress really well and and that expression like dressing to impress um, and also wear earrings like Ayinda and for no real reason other than Michelle mentioned it Yinda, I'm going to get you to describe the earrings that you're wearing <laughs> now right now to
2: our listeners so they can really picture it I'm wearing um some like indigo blue um, woven earrings. Um gorgeous. Okay, thank you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> They're in a circle shape. <laughs> You're gonna have to go ahead to our social media to find out what that looks like on these videos. But for now, thank you so much, Michelle. Thank you, Ayinda and thank you, Belle, for being part of this really important and interesting conversation. And uh we'll catch you on the next episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Join me next time where I'll be speaking with three more incredible women about real life
2: and real faith. For more inspiring conversations, articles and opinions, head to womanalive.co.uk. Woman alive, real women, real lives, real faith.